Hello, I'm Richard Grun. Welcome to The Porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics. Whatever the Lord said, we believe it and we do it. We examine the Word of God focusing on the book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. Because the Porch Online Bible Study has always been here to take a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God. We want to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain that world-shaking influence that the early church had. We dig deeper into Scripture. We don't water it down. We take it as it was written and intended. And in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. And that's what we're talking about tonight because the church age is not over. What happened in the upper room is as much for now, for today, as it was on the day of Pentecost. And if you know that, if you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, and you want that, then you're welcome to join us on this journey. If you have any questions, do not hesitate. Go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button or write us directly. Send an email to the porch, lowercase, one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Praise reports, prayer requests, anything. Reach out. If you'd like to support what we do here at Firefall Talk Radio, on the same page where the contact button is on firefalltalkradio.com at the bottom, there are ways to do so. If you need more information about that, let us know. Because we appreciate you. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your encouragement. We appreciate you being a part of the Porch family. Now, welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Make sure you subscribe to us there and on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and the platform that was formerly known as Twitter, X. And uh, follow along with us. Watch our post. Stay connected with us. Father, we come to you in the name above all names, your Son, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua. We thank you. We thank you for being our Abba Father, our Papa, our Daddy, for loving us even when we were and are unlovable. You made a way for us when there seemed to be no way. You set the path. Yeshua walked it shed his blood so that we could be reconciled to you. Oh, Lord, how wonderful is your name. Thank you. Thank you for that old rugged cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the upper room, the empty tomb, everything that you've done, everything that you've given us. We praise you for it. We praise you for sending the Holy Spirit to walk with us, to teach us, to guide us. And we say, Holy Spirit, have your way tonight. Say and do whatever you want to say and do. Touch each listener. Meet them at their needs right where they are. Pierce their hearts. Break the chains. Open the doors. Now we pray. First of all, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Lord, we pray for Jerusalem. We pray for Israel. Pray for America. May you shed your grace upon us. 
But, Lord, shake it up, turn it upside down, expose everything that needs to be exposed, pull it all out into the light, because we need your light to shine on these things. We need your glory to shine upon us. We pray for our families, our homes, our pets, our possessions. Protect us in this fallen world from the enemy. Keep us from evil and the evil one. Let your Psalm 91 covering be fully in effect. Fill us with the fire of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, the fruit. Now bless this technology, bless this time, and bless your children. In Yeshua's name, and if you agree with me, say amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. We are still talking about the mindset of the remnant. And last week I left you with the question that we're going to answer tonight. Well, first of all, let's back up, review, remnant, very popular but misunderstood term. What's the biblical concept? Well, Holman Bible Dictionary says the remnant's something left over, especially the righteous people of God after divine judgment. There are several Hebrew words that express the idea of remnant, several Greek words. They all mean the same thing, that which is left over, that which remains residue, one who escapes, survivor, one loosed from bonds, a portion of people, that's what we are, a portion of people, left after a disaster, especially one identified with divine judgment, those who have remained faithful to God despite their suffering and who ultimately experience restoration. Well, we are left over. We are after an epidemic, a famine, a drought, a war, a war against religion and the destruction of his church, us, and what he left for us to do. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Messiah Yeshua. There was never supposed to be a Christian church. It was supposed to just be the church. And it was always intended, based upon the foundation in which it was built, to be a messianic church in fulfillment of prophecy. The Lord did not come to start a new religion. He came to fulfill an old one. So what happened? That's what we're talking about. What happened to his church? Well, let's go to Scripture. And we'll begin to build the case. Let me say this. It's funny, before coming on the air, all of a sudden the Lord began to drop things into my spirit, into my mind. I'm hoping I remember them all. But you may be saying, why are you teaching me this, Richard? Why are we talking about this? I just want to know how to be a better 
Christian, a better believer. I want to be stronger. I want to walk upright. I want this. I want that. Well, (laughs) we're the church. We have a job to do. And if you're going to do that, you need to understand what you're up against and why that which we call church isn't working. Many of you are sitting in places of worship, fellowship that are not working. Oh, you may be entertained. You may have camp and you may have children's church and you may have food and you may have all the things that a country club or the YMCA has. But in many cases, the Holy Spirit's not there and the Lord isn't either. I know I've sat in those places that seemed real good. But once the Lord opened my eyes, once I began to see what it was he wanted, I was grieved. I was brokenhearted. So let's go to Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that all with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So basically, Barnabas and Saul are building a branch of his church in Antioch, primarily to Gentile believers. And this is where they are first called Christians. The word believers means disciples. So when somebody says, what are you? Are you a Christian? No, I am a believer in Yeshua. I am a disciple. Well, they called them Christians because they worshiped Christ, the Greek term for Messiah. The Lexham Bible Dictionary says the term Christian began to appear in extra-biblical material around the end of the first century and beginning of the second century in both Jewish and secular Roman context. So we know that the Book of Acts Church did not call themselves Christians. The earliest extant reference is in Josephus' Antiquities of the Jews. Josephus relates an abbreviated account of the gospel narrative of the life and death of Yeshua, of Jesus, concluding that, quote, the tribe of Christians so named from him, are not extinct at this day. So Josephus called them that tribe of Christians. 
Tacitus, the Roman historian, referred to them as Christians, a name derived from Christ. Originally, the church called themselves the Way. But later, they began to refer to themselves as Christians, even though they knew that the name most likely was originally used to ridicule believers. Because in the writings of the New Testament, it's only mentioned in two other places, Acts 26, 28 and 1 Peter 4, 16. So the church in Antioch was predominantly Gentile. And it was from this church, not the Jerusalem church, that the first foreign missionaries went out. And I believe this is where the first schism, the first crack, the hairline, but it spread in the book of Acts church, begins to occur. It's the first wrinkle in the material that he set aside, the remnant which must be steamed out by the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit. Holman Bible Dictionary says the term pagans are people who are not part of God's chosen family at birth and thus can be considered pagan, those not synonymous in English Gentiles, nations, pagans, heathens, are all variations that the translators render goyim in Hebrew and ethnoi in Greek. Gentile and nations suggest race or territory, while pagans and heathens suggest religion. But the cross, that old rugged cross, it bridged this gap, and the blood blurred the line into one line and one path. Romans one sixteen. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, you say, Richard, why doesn't it say Messiah? Well, I can tell you this. That during the Council of Nicaea, when the church leaders tried to gain control of the home churches, which were exploding in signs and wonders, and went to Constantine and asked him to take over leadership of the church, which he did. His mother had just converted, and there is no actual evidence that Constantine himself ever converted. Be that as it may, another topic for another time. They removed every Jewish term and anything that referred back to the Jews because, in their mindset, the Jews killed Jesus, forgetting that it was a Roman who sentenced them to death. Jew and Gentile both participated in the crucifixion. But the church is always battling this desire to replace Israel. It's always battling this replacement theology. That's what it's called. And some places don't battle it at all. They embrace it. Some well-known speakers and well-known authors whose books I have thrown out are anti-Semites. They're against Israel and anything to do with the Jewish nature of Yeshua. But we can't. We can't exalt ourselves, Romans 11, starting with verse 17. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild, 
olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, Paul goes on, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Messiah. And you're there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. If God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. From day one, even back, I believe, to the garden, him knowing the end from the beginning. It was always a part of his plan to include the Gentiles into his family as one tree, as one vine. Romans fifteen nine through 12 says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. It was all supposed to be one family under God. Brothers and sisters, of one Father, worshiping one Lord, knowing that He is the true vine. John fifteen one, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Remember at that moment, speaking to the disciples. Abide in me, and I in you abide as permanent residence. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. We are just branches on the vine. No branch can exalt itself over another branch. Yet isn't that what we see in contemporary church? We have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten our place in things. And I believe the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. 
for us to get our act together, to become what we're supposed to become, to do what we've been called to do before the king comes, before the king arrives. Because, brothers and sisters, the king is coming. Solomon's prayer of dedication made it clear that the door was never closed to the foreigner who wished to serve to serve the Lord. First Kings 8, starting verse 41. Moreover, concerning a far, foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and outreached arm. When he comes and prays, prays towards this temple here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Well, we no longer need buildings made with man's hands. We are the temple of the living God, and we should treat it as such, We should honor it as such, and that people should know that we are called by his name. The prophetic words here and in some of the Psalms depict the nations gathering to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Psalm 102, starting verse 15. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute, and he shall not despise their prayer. Zephaniah 3, verses 9 and 10. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they may all call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. I personally believe that offering mentioned in Zephaniah 3.10 is the Ark of the Covenant, which I believe is hidden in that church in Ethiopia. Can't prove that. There are others that believe it, but it seems that they're bringing something special to him. Isaiah 42.1, Behold, my servant, capital M and capital S, which is Yeshua, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, 6, indeed he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Are you seeing it? Are you getting it? We were all supposed to be one. Matthew 4, 16 and 17. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Yeshua began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
restoration, salvation, and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, are all tied together in one, through one. And it was all a result of the other. Tying back to who? Yeshua, Messiah, HaMashiach. But while the church exalts itself against the Jews, the Jews reject the church, and they're no different. And he threatened that the kingdom would be taken from the Jews and given to a nation, bringing its fruits. Matthew twenty one forty three. Lord speaking, red letters, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nature bearing the fruits of it. It's always been the plan that we would become one in the one. Isaiah 65, verse 1, I was sought by those who did not seek me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. So how did we get here? If you look at the book of Acts, and hopefully you are, hopefully you're just not reading the scriptures, I repeat, and if you have the list, you can follow along, but reading the entire chapters, reading what was going on, it was never supposed to be fractured, dysfunctional, disagreeing entities. One church, one Lord, one Savior, one King. The Holy Spirit made this point in the house of Cornelius when the Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, starting verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace, shalom, through Jesus the Messiah, he is the Lord of all. The word you know, which, has proclaimed, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Yeshua et Nazari, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, dunamis, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are a witness of all those things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, in him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with them after he arose from the dead, meaning he wasn't a ghost, he was in bodily form. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Peter's about to experience another suddenly, like he did in the upper room. Verse 44 of Acts 10. 
while Peter was still speaking. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And if you go further up in Acts 10, you realize Peter had to be forced to go there. He did not want to go there. He wanted to keep what they had just for the Jews, just in Jerusalem. He didn't want to go to a house of a Gentile, a Roman centurion. It was always supposed to be one church, one Lord, one family. What we see here, a couple of things. One I just noticed, the Holy Spirit was assimilating people into his church. And some people say on the day of Pentecost, the tongues were just the languages of those various nations so that they would get the message. Well, Peter's in a house of one language speaking group of people. Why did the Holy Spirit drop tongues, plural, on a group of people who all spoke the same language, unless that was glossolalia, a heavenly language? I don't know. I'd consider that to be the answer. So the kingdom mindset ties into what I'm saying to you. It's about being about the Lord's business. Salvation of the nations and of the people, and then preparation for his return. Go, make disciples of all men. Go, make believers who will follow the Lord. But instead, man and the church have been building their own kingdoms, denominations, doctrines, rules, do's, don'ts, and that garment has become more wrinkled. And it's obvious who's behind this. It's obvious that the hand of Hasatan, Satan, and the enemy is behind this to keep us fractured. If we're too busy fighting each other over this Bible or that translation or this interpretation of rapture or that interpretation, if we're too busy fighting with each other, we can't fight him. We can't fight the kingdom of darkness. We can't do what we're called to do. And that's what I'm here to stop. I'm here to stop that. I'm here to get us focused on what we're called to do. Get us focused on the true enemy. We can disagree on certain things, except for the fact that Jesus, Yeshua, is Messiah. He is Lord. That he died for our sins and wiped them away with his blood. If you disagree with that, you're in the wrong place. Go with me to Matthew 21. I want to show you something of how the enemy begins to fracture things. Starting verse 23, Now when he, he being Yeshua, came into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. Which means he's got a crowd, he's teaching, they just interrupt him. Say, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? 
pompous, overdressed, religious so-and-sos. Well, the things that they're referring to is the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, the cleansing of the temple, and accepting the praise of children. The fact that the chief priests and elders opposed the Lord illustrates the unified antagonism of the Sanhedrin. Priests, elders, scribes, they were the representative groups of that body. Let's pick it back up, verse 24. Now, what the Lord's about to do here is about to answer a question with a, que- with a question. That was something the Pharisees did all the time. He turned their own technique back on them. But Yeshua answered and said to them, I will ask you, ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, for we fear the multitude, for all they all count John as a prophet. So they took the cowards away out and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Even then, Religion, that religious spirit, was battling with him to shut him up. Well, right from there, he goes into a parable. A man had two sons. He said, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he went to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. He's still speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the elders. And he said, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. The Nelson Study Bible says when Yeshua taught in Jerusalem during his last week, his parables focused on the acceptance or rejection of him. This time, even the priests and the Pharisees perceived he was speaking of them. They were stung by Yeshua's parables, and they despised him and his message. The religious spirit always despises him and his message and those that present it. But they were unwilling to give up their pride, learn at Yeshua's feet, seek forgiveness, the forgiveness that they so desperately needed. They sensed they would not appreciate what they found if they unwrapped the parables, so they refused to seek the truth any further. In doing this, they perfectly conformed to Isaiah's description of a people with dull hearts, hardness of hearing, and closed eyes. These religious leaders who should have been leading the people into truth were the very ones who were the most blind to it. Dull hearts, hardness of hearing, 
and closed eyes. I've met a number of famous, well-known preachers and teachers and evangelists who fit that description, who may have one day started out with the right purpose and the right heart, but became enamored with their name up in lights and the stages and the accolades and the money and all that went with it and became dull-hearted, hard of hearing, dim of sight. It's no wonder that when the Lord entered the drama of human history, his authority was arduously, violently challenged because he did not fit into the religious mold of either camp. And as a result, Yeshua was viewed with suspicion by both the Pharisees and the Sadducee parties. It did not take long for this suspicion to turn to hostility, and then hostility to violent action because they both took steps to put the Son of God to death. Let me tell you, this is coming. It's already happened in other places, but it's coming here. That those of us who stand up for the word, those of us who stand up for the truth, those of us that will not compromise, will not bow to the state, will not bow to the man, will not bow to the Antichrist, are going to be removed, or at least they're going to try to remove us. They're going to try to silence us. The International Standard Encyclopedia, the opposition of the Pharisees to Yeshua was intensified by another reason. They were the Democratic Party. Whoa, that sounds familiar. Their whole power lay in the reputation they had with the people for piety. And the Lord denounced them as hypocrites. Moreover, he secured a deeper popularity than theirs. And at length, when trying to deceive him, failed to win him over, and trying to question him and trick him, failed to destroy his popularity, they joined with their opponents, the Sadducees, who they were, they did not get along against him as a common enemy. And the Lord denounced the Pharisees more than he denounced any other class of people. Matthew 5.20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The religious spirit in the Pharisees and the Sadducees is demonic. And it is always against the gospel, the true gospel. It is always against the Lord. It's always against the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the Spirit in the fruit and the gifts. Yeah, we got time. Let's go to Matthew 9. Verse 1. Let me stop for a second. I put my hand up. Stop. Nobody's here. Nobody's looking. <laughs> Let's just stop for a second. And let me ask the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. To speak into your heart and into your mind. How badly he wants to abide in you. How badly he wants you to shine the glory of the Lord. How badly he wants you to show the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit to a world that is dying and hungry for it. 
just as it was in the day of the Lord and the book of Acts Church. It is becoming that way now. And I've always believed that as when the Lord returns, we will have cycled back to that moment in history to be that way now. There are people that have seen enough religion to last a lifetime, myself included. I'm done with the dog and pony show. I'm done with the guys with the names and the letters before their names and all that other stuff, using that for favor, using that to aggrandize themselves and to rip off the flock. I'm done with it. The Lord will deal with it. I just won't be a part of it. I'm a part of the remnant, those that have survived, those that have been set aside, those that have survived this religious war to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, to destroy the work of the enemy, to make way the path for the king. Matthew 9, verse 1, so he got into a boat, crossed over, came to his own city. And then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Yeshua saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes, those of the Pharisees, said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Yeshua, knowing their thoughts, he was reading their minds, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. And Yeshua passed on from there. So he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now as it happened, as Yeshua sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. I, think, I believe, without saying so, he's in Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Shua heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Those who are well have no need of a physician. Preaching to the choir and preaching in churches is all well and good. But there are people out in the streets, there are people in the nursing homes, there are people in the homeless shelters, people in the gyms, people at your job. They're sick. They got a disease that's killing them. This disease of sin and death. Your friends, your loved ones, your brothers, your sisters. Maybe your spouses, I don't know. Stop thinking, let me get them to church and start being the church. Now, right after this in Matthew 9, he heals Jairus' daughter and the two blind men 
Then we come up to the point where he cast the demon out of a mute man. In verse 32, And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marvel, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees, about to make a very big mistake, said, He cast out demons by the rulers of demons. He has Beelzebub. By the rulers of demons, he cast out demons. This is in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. So he called them to himself, and he said in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? For if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now let me stop there at the end of verse 25. That can also apply to us. That can apply to the kingdom of God. That can apply to the house of God. If it's divided against itself, it can't stand. Verse 26, And if Hasidon, if Satan, if the adversary has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whoever blasphemes they may utter, whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal damnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Luke twelve ten. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, not in this age or in the age to come. In this situation, the blasphemy is the allegation by the Pharisees that Yeshua cast out the demons by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebub. They attributed the acts of the Holy Spirit to a demonic spirit. And to do that, to call good evil and call the actions of the Spirit demonic, it is a sin that will not ever be pardoned. And I have literally heard, I've had it spoken to me, I've had it accused of me, but I've heard big, big name mega preachers, very well-respected preachers, doctor this, PhD that, and all the accolades and all this who have said, Anyone who moves in the gifts of the Spirit, anyone who speaks in tongues, is not of God, and it is demonic. Well, if you hear someone say that, do not repeat it. If you don't understand the gifts of the Spirit and the tongues and all that, don't repeat what they say, because that blasphemy will never be forgiven. Now, the very people that should have recognized him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that should have understood his teachings and knew why he was there, rejected him. And so what the Lord had to do was to separate himself from them because their righteousness was a facade. It was all external. It lay in what they ate or what they didn't eat, meats and drinks and how they washed and in tithing of mint and anise and cumin. And as long as they did the religious things, 
they thought that they were good. But they were clean on the outside, but they were sepulchers, dead men's bones on the inside. And so what he did, he placed what he was doing on a different footing, on a different foundation than what had been done in the nation of Israel for a very long time. With him, it was the heart of the matter, that the heart must be right with God, not just the external actions. I believe if your heart is right, you'll do what's right. But if you do what's right, it doesn't necessarily mean your heart is right. I've seen people put on the show. Thankfully, I have the discerning of spirits and the gifts, the, the wisdom, revelation, knowledge to be able to see through the facade. That's not just the outside of the cup that needs to be cleaned, but the inside, first of all. And interestingly enough, the Pharisees were less antagonistic to the apostles after the Lord died. Sadducees, not so much. But any oligarchy is proverbially sensitive to anything that threatens its stability. And a priesthood is unmeasured in its vindictiveness when challenged. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees were a priestly oligarchy. Therefore, the only thing that would please them would be to remove the Lord and those that taught what he said. And after the resurrection, the Sadducees put their focus on the book of Acts Church. Now, it's really interesting that the lead attacker of Yeshua during his time were the Pharisees. But the minute he was gone, the Sadducees picked up the mantle and went after the church. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Peter and John have just been arrested. They've healed the lame man at the gate beautiful, and they're preaching in Solomon's porch. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. The Pharisees believed in supernatural things. The Sadducees were eggheads. They believed in knowledge. They didn't believe in the supernatural. We have entire denominations and cemeteries, seminaries that are like that. Paul, although a Pharisee, was working for the Sadducees when he went out and persecuted the believers. Eventually, after the outbreak of the Jewish wars, the Sadducees and all their allies, the Herodians, were driven into the background by the Zealots and others and eventually just disappeared. After the destruction of the temple and the fall of the Jewish state, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees visibly disappeared. But Satan was smart. He took the same spirit and he put it into the church. The spirit of the Sadducees needs a building structure, an oligarchy to rule from. The spirit of the Pharisees needs... They need a hierarchy, and they need a caste system. They need, you know, looks and what you wear and how you sound and to control the people. 
but it's all one spirit and not a holy one. The religious spirit will always seek to disrupt and destroy what the Lord is doing. And to circle back to our topic, contemporary Christianity has fallen into the same errors of the Pharisees and Sadducees. A book I've talked about a lot, and it was a series I did a couple of years ago called Give Me That Old Time Religion, when it's a great detail. But Pagan Christianity, Exploring the Roots of Our Church Practices by Frank Viola and George Barner. Let me read you a couple of sections. The church in the first century, the Book of Acts Church, who we're studying, was an organic entity. It was a living, breathing organism that expressed itself far differently from the institutional church today. And that expression revealed Jesus the Messiah on this planet through his every member functioning body, everybody functioning together in one. In the book, they want they show you that the organism was devoid of many of things that we embrace today. Organic churches were are characterized by being spirit-led, open participatory meetings, and non-hierarchical hierarchical leadership. That is in stark contrast to clergy-led, institution-driven church. It truly was an organism, and its DNA will always produce the same type of church, and that's why the religious spirit has to stamp it out and kill it. So where did the practices of the contemporary church come from? Where do the things that you do if you sit in a building that calls itself a church come from? The pews, the stage, the pulpit, uh, the, the how they give. and the, the how, Where did all that come from? Well, the answer is pretty disturbing. They've been bar- borrowed from the Greeks, from pagan culture. The church in its contemporary institutional form has neither a biblical nor a historical right to function as it does. They are a tired people like you and me. If you're here, I don't believe this applies to you. Maybe you've wandered here and you're looking for something else. Maybe you realize there's something more. Well, guess what? We're tired of the institutions, tired of the denomination and the routines getting in the way of a resonant, vibrant, connection with him. Believers are worn out of the endless programs that fail. And it's time the body of Messiah get in touch with both the word of God and the history of the church to arrive at a better understanding of what we can and should do, as well as what we cannot and should not do. It's time that the body of Messiah get in touch with both the word of God and the history of the church to arrive at a better deeper, spirit-filled understanding of who we're supposed to be. Having the mind of the Lord is so much more than we understand. Having the mind of Messiah, as I say when I pray, has so many layers and so deep. It is a remnant mindset, born of trials and afflictions, which propel us closer to him in intimacy, where we cry out, Lord, help me. I need you. I need to understand. I need more. It doesn't come from complacent, comfortable Christianity. It doesn't come from religion. That's what got us to where we are now. 
seeker-friendly churches. No sin, no hell. In some cases, no Jesus. It comes from being a disciple, which is what a believer is. It's a walk and it's a lifestyle as much as it is a mindset. We are to be building his kingdom with no distinction in people, nor bound to a building or man-made traditions. So why? Why are we still here? Why has he not come? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not del- delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises, according to some people's conception of slowness. But he is long-suffering, extraordinarily patient toward you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We talk about the unbeliever. For the first time today, I saw that apply to the church. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. That also could apply to the church. Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I believe the church needs to repent, as well as those that are unsaved. We need to repent for the mishandling of the Lord's church. That's what happened. We mishandled it. We bungled it. He left it in our hands, and we were bad managers of it. We need to seek his face and humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways. That's the remnant mindset. Father, Abba, I come to you now boldly, humbly, heartbroken, to your throne, sorry for what we have done. Help us, heal us, deliver us, teach us, Holy Spirit. Right now, speak to all my brothers and sisters and show them an area, show them a teaching, show them a belief structure that they've accepted as from you, and it's not. Begin to open their eyes like you did with the book of Acts, church who fell sway to the same spirit, the religious spirit. Lord, give us the discerning of spirits and the ability to see and hear and know what is not of you, to not be fooled by how things look and how things sound unless we see you and hear your voice. Give us the remnant mindset. Gird us up. Strengthen us up. Build us up. Let us run and not grow weary. Let us walk and not faint. Let us rise up as wings, with wings as eagles, above the clouds, above the storms. Let's get out there and do what we've called to do. Set the captives free and tell them about Yeshua. Tell them about the Lord and tell them about their Abba Father. Oh, Lord, I pray this. I believe this. I speak this in your name to your people. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, may Adonai make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord, may Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.